Today's scripture comes from Hebrews 12, 28 to 13, 6. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me. This is the word of the Lord. Delight to be here. Uh, just want to say a couple of words before I begin my sermon, and that is that I have no objective feelings about Revive. I love Revive, and I love Sue Song, and I love Young, and I love Joe, and Christy, and Grace, and I love them all. And uh, we are a church, and we're 16 years old, and we're one of the, well, we're the only church plant that I know of that's made, made stuck around for 20 years, or thereabout, or close to it, in about 45 years in Marin County. And so it is tough sledding, and uh, so we do pray for Revive. We love Revive, and so we're one of those people, there's people around the country who love me, and who love us, and my congregation will ever know. Well, there's people in this Bay Area who love you, and uh, you may not never ever know them or meet them, but they love you, and they care about you, and you're part of a, a Presbyterian denomination, and you're part of a fellowship where the churches are for each other. We don't fight. We love each other. Our, the capital that we have is the gospel, and uh, friendship, and we lean into those two things. What we don't have is tons of money and build you a new facility, but what we do have, frankly, is even more important. And so you just need to know that there are churches around the Bay Area and there are churches around the country that love you and we respect you and we are for you. And so we do pray regularly, and it's just a privilege to be here and to help uh, celebrate with you. For months, I have been articulating and re-articulating a vision for what 921 Sir Francis Drake Boulevard could be to a series of architects and a real estate team at Grace Church of Marin. Now, 921 Sir Francis Drake Boulevard doesn't mean anything to you, but last year, uh, we were given a building at 921 Sir Francis Drake uh, Boulevard. Uh, one of our fellow churches in Marin was struggling, and uh, they uh, decided to join in with us, and they handed us the keys to their building, and so it's just sort of an incredible gift. It's not quite ready for us to be in, and so we have to do a remodel or do something, but I've been trying to articulate this vision. Sue Song's asked me to share a little bit about sort of just the real life of what we're going through and some of the things that we've been, we've been doing. And, but beside the gift of so many people uh, coming to faith in Christ, this is kind of a big deal for us to get a building and to ha have this new season in life for us. And so uh, we're, we're so grateful for that. Um, 
it's been our experience that when you lean into the gospel and you lean into your faith and you do it just you just go for it that God loves to do wonderful things and we have a, a professor that I always loved his name is Steve Childers and he said that God uh, loves to pour out his spirit with power on those who radically align their life's purposes with his who radically aligning their life's purposes with the purposes of God and that's been what we have found over the years we've been humbled by that now this building is in some de- some uh, degree of disrepair, but according to the engineers, it has great bones, and so we're considering how we can fix it up and how we can use it to bless our community and to invite people to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I've been casting a vision uh, for this project to this real estate team and to these architects who really don't know what to do with the church. There's not very many churches built in Marin County. There's not been one that's really been revived in Marin County, and so it's interesting to talk to these, these folks. And I've said repeatedly that it needs to be a beautiful place so that we can worship our generous and hospitable God. And further, it needs to be beautiful and welcoming so that as an act of worship, we can extend hospitality to the community that's around us. It's more complicated than that, but it's not less. Those are our priorities because in a very real sense, we know God as a generous, yearning host. And having received his costly hospitality to us in Jesus Christ, we're privileged to be his joyful gathering servants in this world. Grace Church of Marin in Marin, Revived Presbyterian Church in Sunnyvale, in Sunnyvale, and all of our friends around it. Having received this incredible hospitality, this costly hospitality from Christ, we are now his gathering servants in this world. It's actually fun and motivating to think about and to consider the story of redemption through the lens of hospitality because it helps us understand why the author of Hebrews here would identify hospitality as a primary act of what it means to worship with your whole life. You see, the story of redemption is a story about a yearning host, a a generous yearning host who who made the world and made his desired guests. That's frankly us, the human person, are his desired guests. He he breathes life into us, and and as a gesture of his welcome and his hospitality, he gave us the earth, and and he he asked us, like the servants in Luke chapter 14 and all that I've been referring to here, he asked us to invite the world to taste and see that he's good. And unfortunately, his desired guests had something else on mind. They, they, we, we made a mess of things, quite frankly, but remarkably, the host was not and is not easily discouraged. In fact, you can say that at great personal cost, the yearning host sent the ultimate gathering servant to repair and restore so that his desired guests might be renewed. And now that restored, desired guest, that is his church, serves as his gathering servant to every tongue and tribe and nation of the world. I'm not trying to be overly cute with this metaphor, but rather simply trying to frame uh, what is actually true. Fundamentally, God is gracious, and God is a loving, yearning host who longs for deep fellowship with his desired guests. 
And unfortunately, far too often in history, God has been fundamentally seen as a judge, or more recently, he's fundamentally seen as a healer. The fact is, he is a judge, and he is a healer, but he, he's a judge to, to get out of the way those who would interrupt his hospitality. And he heals such that we can be agents of his hospitality. More fully and more consistently and frankly, delightfully, God has revealed himself as a yearning host who longs for his desired guest to enjoy his friendship and his fellowship and frankly, his lavish hospitality. And in that life, that life of joy and that life of security and that life of lavish love, his desired guests might also become his community of gathering servants, extending the hospitality of that generous host. During October, our church, Grace Church of Marin, has been looking at the details of the exhortations here in, uh, of the author of Hebrews that he makes at the end of 12 and at the beginning of 13. And, and, and for 12 chapters, he's extolled the glories of Christ and, and how the story of redemption has come together and the person and work of Jesus Christ. And now the author comes to sort of this now what moment. Now, now what are we supposed to do? And the, and the answer that he makes at the end of uh, 1228 here is that we're to worship but not simply worshiping like what we're doing right now. In the narrow sense, he asks us to worship with our whole lives, to worship in the broad sense. In other words, living our whole lives as an act of worship and an act of thanksgiving to our great God and to our wonderful host. And so the question is, what does it look like to worship God with your whole life? And well, he answers it here. It looks like loving one another as brothers and sisters. It looks like caring for the for the prisoner and for the mistreated. It looks like honoring marriage. It looks like living lives of contentment. And it looks like showing hospitality to strangers. And of course, there are many other ways to do that. And so today, I simply want to look at and ask two questions. One, why is it important to extend hospitality? And then secondly, what does it look like? Why is it important and what does it look like? So first, very simply... Hospitality is important because it is central to the work of God in the world. That's what I was trying to get at in my kind of my introduction. He actually is a generous and yearning host who's inviting us in. And, and so I want to try to show that to you by uh, referencing three passage. I want, passages. I want you to see that rescuing grace, that saving grace comes to us as an act of hospitality by God in Christ, that you have been brought in because of the hospitality, the costly hospitality of God to us in Jesus Christ. And so let's try to take a little trip and do that together. The first passage I want to look at, and if you have your iPhones or whatever, you can look, but you can just listen to me as well, is Deuteronomy 10, 17. And in Deuteronomy 10, 17 and following, Moses is quoting God as he prepares for the people of God's promise, Israel at that time, to enter into the promised land. And by it's, it's by his incredible grace, of course, that God had freed the people of his promise from the iron-smelting furnace of, of, of Egypt, and they were, they were slaves, and they were taken into the, in, in toward the promised land. And so, so Moses is preparing them to go ultimately into that land. He's making reference to the so-called Exodus. The Exodus is the 
penultimate, the next ultimate expression of salvation in the scriptures. And listen, and as you, hear, as you, as you listen to uh, Deuteronomy 10, I want you to try to listen for and hear how God acted in hospitality toward his people. It says this, For the Lord your God is God of God and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Revere the Lord and serve him. He is your God who performed for you great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. That was the Exodus. For your ancestors ancestors who went down to Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord has made you as numerous as the stars are in the sky. The Greek word translated hospitality in Hebrews 13.2 is a compound word, and that, that it combines two words, and it is brotherly love and stranger. So hospitality is extending brotherly love to strangers. And that's exactly how God describes what he did for the people of his promise in the Exodus. In fact, he grounds his call for them to love foreigners and strangers in his rescuing work of Israel. A group of people who were foreigners and strangers in the land. Not only were they foreigners and strangers in Egypt, but in their rebellion, they became foreigners and strangers even to the God who made them. But God in his lavish hospitality, extended brotherly love to those who were strangers. He extended hospitality, and it was by hospitality, by his grace, he brought them back into relationship with himself. So you can say that God fulfills, even even fulfills his covenant promises. I don't know if you heard at the end, maybe you have ears to hear these, the, 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 a little shout out to Genesis 15, but he said, that he's made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. That was, that was a promise that God had given to Abraham back in Genesis, and he's saying that, that even in his hospitality, he's fulfilling his covenant. What I'm saying is, is that the penultimate expression of salvation in all of the scriptures is described as an act of genuine, heroic, and gracious hospitality. So it's not only in the Old Testament here, but the, but the signature act of God's saving work is most clearly seen as an act of hospitality. But what about, the question is, what about the New Testament? Well, I've got a New Testament passage as well. Secondly here, let's consider Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, and 12 and 13. And here in Ephesians 2, Paul is reflecting on what you might call the ultimate exodus. The, the work of God in Christ, is his saving work in Christ. In other words, God's saving purposes in Christ, like the Old Testament exodus, is, is like the Old Testament Exodus, but even greater. Throughout church history, uh, thoughtful readers have seen those parallels between God's saving work with his people in, in Egypt and the saving work that he does in, in, in Christ. And so he called it a, a greater Exodus. And here again, see if you can't hear salvation and hospitality linked in Paul's word when he says this. He says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in his transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved, or by grace you have been rescued. Remember, at that time, you were separate from God, 
separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of, covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who were once far away have brought, been brought near by the blood of Christ. So here, salvation or restoration is described as God's love to strangers. In other words, hospitality. Paul says, you and I were foreigners to the covenants, without hope and without God. But in God's hospitality, his, his love for strangers, people who were far off from him, we've been brought near and we've been reconciled and we've been restored. Not only was God's rescuing work a, a gesture of incredible hospitality in the Old Covenant, but it was the key to his rescuing hospitality in the New Covenant and in today. So would it surprise you if I said that since you know God's saving work was an act of radical hospitality in a day gone by and is presently an act of God's hospitality, that God would describe his final restoration of all things, that, which we, that great day in which we look forward to. Would it be surprising to you if I said that too is described as an act of radical hospitality? Thirdly, let's consider Revelation 21, 22 and following. This is, this is a hospi what, what hospitality will be like in the future. And, and after John, who is the, the seer, John the, the, giving this revelation, John describes God's final work of, of salvation as a wedding feast, right? Can you pick something more hospitable or a gesture of greater hospitality than a wedding feast? He just, that's the way he describes when, all th when God makes all things new. It will be like a wedding feast in which God... And God's people are his bride, and God is the bridegroom and the host. And John does something interesting here. John describes the state of the nations, the, the, the people of the world. And remember, in Psalm 2 and in so many other passages, it says that the, 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 the nations raged against God and against his people. But now, when God makes all things new... Now those strangers and those foreigners are people who've received God's hospitality and are actually enjoined with the bride. Listen to what John says. He says, I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations, those who fought against him, will walk by light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. What do I want you to see? What I want you to see is that when God finally acts on that great day, where all of his saving purposes are realized, it's described as a wedding feast. And those who were enemies, those who were foreigners, those who were different will be brought in. They'll be even honored because of the gracious, costly, extravagant hospitality of God in Jesus Christ. Friends, from beginning to end, the rescuing, redeeming work of God is grounded in hospitality shown to those who have no standing, who are not perfect, who are on the outside. 
I think it's not too much to say that, the, that hospitality is perhaps the currency of salvation. Hospitality is at the heart of the purpose of God and the manner in which God works in every epoch. As God's person and character and story are progressively revealed in the scriptures, we see hospitality from beginning to end. And is there any wonder that having explained the glory of God and Christ through the story of redemption, the author of Hebrews here would exhort us, would exhort us to living out our lives hospitably. To that, that that would be a way in which we might worship God is to mirror his costly hospitality in the world. And there's frankly, it's, it's even, it gets even kind of grander than that if you want to know the truth because there's this funny little reference here to hospitality that almost makes it sacramental. Did you, did you know, hear what he said? He said that there's a little reference to entertaining angels without knowing it. It's a reference to Genesis 18 where Abraham was extending hospitality to three strangers and one of them happened to be the Lord and two of his angels. And what the author is trying to say that like a sacrament or, or something ordinary where God promises to be present, God loves to show up in your, in our ordinary hospitality for his good purposes. When we align our purposes with Christ's purposes and we extend hospitality, God loves to show up. He promises Promises to be there. Wow, what a promise that we have. Have you ever noticed when you open up your home to a, a, a community group or to a meal or to a breakfast or something, uh, good things happen. Uh, it's, it's where friendships are made, where sufferers are cared for, where uh, rest is real, where someone can say, you too, and a friendship is formed, where there's laughter, and, and that laughter is indeed good medicine, perhaps even the best medicine. In fact, God loves to use your hospitality, your hospitality that reflects the costly hospitality of Christ to, to work, and pardon this word, to work his magic in the, in the lives of strangers and friends. So hospitality is important because it's an act of worship and it's, and it's an act of worship that, that mirrors the redeeming work of God from beginning to end. I can't encourage and exhort hospitality more or at least I hope I've given you some sense for why the author of Hebrews might pick out hospitality as one of those things in which he exhorts early on after talking through the whole story of redemption. And so why hospitality? Because that is, hospitality is the way in which salvation comes. It's the way in which restoration comes. Hospitality is central to the work of God in Christ. And so the second question is, what does it look like? Well, simply, hospitality looks like, the hospi the, our hospitality should look like the hospitality of Christ. Now, that's, that's kind of complicated, and that's, 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 that's meaty, but let me say two things about it. First, Hospitality is a posture, and secondly, hospitality is an action. Have you ever been invited to somebody's house where it felt like they were obligated to invite you? It's kind of stiff, and there's a lot of, a lot of watch looking when, it, when you're doing. But when that somebody who just invites you and extends hospitality to you, it feels like they just kind of invite you in to their life. They, they invite you in and they listen to you and they love you and it's a whole different thing. In a three-day stretch, uh, a couple of, well, a couple of weeks ago, 
uh, Gwen and I hosted 35 men at my house. And uh, when they were there, I get to ask them questions. I extended some hospitality, but I asked them to give me an example of hospitality that they experienced. And while some of them talked about extravagant gifts, almost all of them talked much more about the posture of the person who extended the hospitality. The words that came up over and over again is they just invited me in. It could have been peanut butter sandwiches. It could have been in a dirty house, but they invited me into their lives. And, it, and that, and that uh, acceptance and in that invitation in was life-changing for them. Like I said, I asked 35 different men. Do you realize that Jesus was incredibly hospitable and more or less homeless most of his life? Even when he went to other people's houses... He was the one who extended hospitality. He washed people's feet. He listened well. He made sure there was enough wine. <laughs> and he was the ultimate host. You could say, I think, you could, he just invited other people in. So, friends, hospitality begins with an attitude. It's an attitude that's formed through deep reflection on the hospitality of God in Christ and his saving work. And then it's moves to using our resources and our gifts to, to love and to welcome strangers and to welcome friends. So it's first a posture, but secondly, hospitality is often a costly act. All along, I've said, look at Christ. Well, his hospitality and welcoming us cost us cost him his life. If your faith is in Christ, if you live in the joy and security of having received this invitation to the wedding feast that I, met, I mentioned earlier, then you know that the hospitality of God extended to you in Christ comes at a great cost. And further, you know that, that great gifts such as this were not meant to induce guilt. Rather, they were meant to be a conduit for you to be a, a gathering servant yourself, one who extends the hospitality of Christ. But make no mistake about it. If you're going to be hospitable with your life, it will cost you. It's sobering. It's a delight, but it's also a cost. We celebrated 9-11 or recognized the anniversary, 20th anniversary of 9-11 a couple of weeks. And, and 20 years ago, when 9-11 happened, the FAA closed down the airspace in the United States. I don't know if you know this, but there were 400 planes inbound from Europe to the United States at the time, and two of, 200 of them were able to turn around and go back to Europe, but 200 of the others of them weren't able to turn around, and that something had to be done with them. And 170 of them landed in Canada, of which 38 planes with 7,000 people landed in the small town of Gander, Newfoundland, a town of about 10,000 people. Now, it turns out that Gander, I don't know if you know Gander, uh, Newfoundland was, has one of the largest airports in the world. It was built during uh, World War II because planes couldn't make it all the way across the, 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 the uh, Atlantic Ocean at the time, and so it was a great place to refuel. And then after World War II, before the big jumbo jets, they used to use it as a refueling station. And so Gander, while it's kind of a small little town, it has probably 500 hotel, hotel, hotel rooms, has this huge airport, and it received 38 planes, like, in the, same, in the same morning, that morning. 
And then the mayor, when, when, they, did, when they figured out that they, there were all these planes, he declared a state of emergency, and the townspeople and the emergence of, of Gander, Newfoundland got to work. They housed, clothed, fed, entertained, and loved on strangers from all over the world for five full days while the world stood still and the FAA was figuring out things to do. When the Olympics were in Canada a couple of years ago, Tom Brokaw did a special report and uh, talked about how talked to a number of the stranded uh, passengers, and they talked about how they went to the, the, the uh, pharmacy and they got their prescriptions filled, but the pharmacist wouldn't take their money. And they went to the store to get some clothes because they couldn't get their clothes out of the hull because they were all afraid of what, was, what might be in the, under the hulls of those planes. And so they wouldn't let anybody get their bags out. So lots of people brought clothes, but people also went to the store. And when they got to the store checkout, they wouldn't take their money. They just gave them. They just opened up their stores and they just gave away their stuff. It was incredible hospitality and it was very costly. The costly hospitality of Gander, Newfoundland, however, refreshed and restored scared, stranded, nearly 100% foreign passengers and made such an impression that even on the 20th anniversary and on the 10th anniversary, they've had, they've had um, uh, reunions. In fact, there's a great play that's been made about it. I don't know if anybody's seen the play. It's called Come From Away. I couldn't encourage... That could be one. You didn't hear that sound on 9-11 after, <laughs> after they closed it down. <laughs> but they made a great play about it. It's called Come From Away. In fact, uh, Apple has it now on Apple TV, and I couldn't commend it to you more. In fact, the, the, the people were so grateful. They wanted to give money to people, and the people from Gander wouldn't take it. And so when they finally flew home, they passed the hat to make a scholarship fund, and now the scholarship fund's got over a million dollars in it. The, front, the point that I wanted to just say is that hospitality is costly, but often the rewards of your hospitality are even greater. And especially if you take the long view of these things and trust God's purposes for it. Interestingly, when Tom Brokaw uh, asked them simply, why did you do it? They said, well, this is the way that we've always lived our lives, day in and day out. Now, in pastor speak, what they were saying is that they're formed by their habits. They're formed through practices and which is why, of course, we do things like we did this morning where we confess our sins and we sing praise and we extend hospitality every week in worship because we want to be framed, we want to be, we want to be shaped by our practices. We can practice hospitality in many, many ways. Uh, when we pass the peace, when you pass the peace here at Revive, find a stranger. Don't let a stranger, people hate to stand and be the one that they, nobody knows. Find the stranger and welcome them uh, wonderfully. It's that time, isn't it? Wow, everybody's coming home. Uh, after worship, uh, chat people up. Find the student, like there's, there's going to be students who show up. Is that extraordinary or is that no normal? Yeah, well, well, that's okay. The blue, was it the Blue Angels? Is it really? Oh, wow. That would be more entertaining than me, I'll tell you that. I think it is the Blue Angels. 
they're welcoming us. <laughs> it's an expression of hospitality. We just had a flyover for you. <laughs> I was just trying to say, there's really practical ways in which we can extend hospitality at church. You can serve on the welcome team or the hospitality team or the mercy team. You can invite somebody to lunch. There's a little shop in my, there's a little um, uh, Mexican restaurant in my town where you can buy an enormous sized burrito and you get a burrito and a bowl of chips and a drink for like 12 bucks. Like you can do this. It's, it's actually not even all that costly. I'm sure that there's, there's service projects. I know you guys go to the reservation. That would be an incredible way to listen and love and extend hospitality. You can learn to ask open-ended questions. Have you ever said, well, I'm just not good at that? Well, actually, if you can ask an open-ended question like, tell me about your day. Versus, did you have a good day, right? Learn to ask open-ended questions. I know Sue Song can teach you how to do that. I actually have done seminars at my church on how to ask an open-ended question. And it's really a fun thing to do, to learn how to do that. Uh, be on the music team. Uh, one of the ways that you can extend hospitality is to tithe, to, get, to give your money. It costs money to, to do what we're doing right now and to extend the, the love of Christ to people. Probably the, the single greatest ministry at Grace Church of Marin is our hospitality. Um, our worship is, I think, great. The preaching, I don't know, m mediocre. But after worship, we have this incredible lawn, and it overlooks Mount Tam, and we, and we buy the best food that we can buy, and we buy the best coffee that we can buy, and people stay out there for 90 minutes. Like, we worship for, for 60, 70, 80 minutes, but they'll stay out there for 90 minutes to fellowship with us afterwards because we're extending incredible hospitality. And I will tell you that the, the best friends and the most healing has probably come, not during my preaching, but during the hospitality afterwards. My wife and I haul toys to church every year for 16 years, every Sunday. I kid you not, we are loaded down every week because our kids love to come and they can't wait to see the toys that Miss Gwen brought. We have more balls on the top of the College of Marin. This is where we worship. It'd be like here. We have more balls and more uh, projectiles on the top of the College of Marin than you can possibly imagine. It's costly, and we love to do it. We can't buy enough toys. In our new members class, we cover details. I actually taught my new members class yesterday, Sue Song. And, and one of the things that I talk about most, that if you're a member of Grace Church and Wren, you must be willing to extend hospitality. You, you need to sign on to be a contributor to hospitality. If there's trash on the ground, I want you to pick it up. If we're running out of food, I want you to skip the meal. If, you're, if, if you've been around for a long time, you let somebody else go first. That's just the way we do it. And, and, and uh, we're just trying to, trying to extend the hospitality of Christ. One of the best ways that you can extend hospitality is show up to church on time. You know that new people who visit your church are always on time. Okay, they don't come late because you say you're going to start at 4. They think you're going to start at 4, so they're going to be here at 345. And when nobody's here at 345, they think nothing's going on here. What would it be like if you extended hospitality by, like, being here and being interested in what's going on? We actually have pre-worship hospitality. I buy, I buy donuts on the front end, and I buy donuts on the back end so that I bribe my people to come and to be hospitable. We're going we're gonna to roll out the red carpet. If you come, you're getting a donut or a bagel or a something to something to us we try not to use insider language 
we prepare a worship folder for children, and we prepare a worship folder adult, for adults. We want the children to know we're expecting you. We delight to have you. We're going to put it to you in, in, in font that's uh, pleasing to you. We're going to have a puzzle on the back. We're ready for you. We want to roll out the red carpet to you. Um, we say that every Sunday is a good Sunday to bring a friend. You know what a curse that is for a pastor to say that, right? I say that to, to my congregation. You can, bring, you, can, you can bring a friend every Sunday because we're going to bring our best. Not a show. We're just going to bring the very best that we can bring. We're not going to be lazy. If it takes me until 5 o'clock in the morning on, on Sunday morning to be prepared for church, we're going to do that. And so every Sunday needs to be a great Sunday to be a friend. You can help make every Sunday a great Sunday to Bring a, to bring a friend to this church. Friends, you can serve good food wherever, wherever you are. People in the Bay love good food, right? Don't they? Like you don't want to eat cheap cookies or cheap something. Uh, buy good food and, and, and bring good food. We had a member of our church uh, who uh, is just a regular guy who was walking around and a, and, a, and a couple and their children walked up and he stopped and he, he introduced himself and they had come a little bit late and they didn't know where the Sunday school was and he took them to the Sunday school and then he brought them back and he sat them down in worship and they, and they said, well, I'm sure he's an elder of the church. He wasn't an elder of the church. He just was extending the hospitality of Christ. He was late for church because he saw somebody who was in need and he disadvantaged himself for their advantage. We had a, a young man by the name of Diego come. He's a Hispanic-American guy, and uh, he said that we're the first, and pardon me for saying it like this, but I'm just quoting. He said, you're the first white people who've ever invited me to your homes not to do something for you, not to work on your house or to work on your lawn or to do something. You've actually just invited me into your life. Friends, hospitality is at the center of what it means to, to, to be in mission for Christ. And this community needs to see and needs to experience the hospitality of Christ. Let me end with just a, a word of encouragement. A couple of Thursdays ago, uh, Gwen and I got up early. We got up at 5.30. We do pretty often, but we were there to prepare a meeting for 23 pastors from around the Bay Area because Revive's not the only church we love, by the way, but um, we, love, we love lots of them. And um, it's, been, it's been a hard 17 months to be a pastor, let me just tell you. And truth be told, most pastors want to quit, and, and many of them are. And so last Thursday... Um, we just thought we're going to we're just going to love these 17 whoever shows up i invited like 30 people 17 showed or 23 showed up actually and uh, and we just said we're going to love them uh, we went out and we bought uh filet mignon the night before and uh and vegetables and gwen was up early and and marinating vegetables and i was cutting up the filet mignons into nice pieces and um we just loved them by, by welcoming them and by listening to them and by encouraging them. And they were like blown away. What are we having, filet mignon for lunch? Yes, we're having filet mignon for lunch because you are that important. What the work that you're doing is that important. And I think they were a little bit uh, stunned by that and a little bit delighted by that at the same time. And so uh, 
when we invite people over, we have to bring down chairs and tables and haul things down. And I live on this crazy hill, and so I actually have to drive my car down to the bottom of the hill and walk back up. It takes about 12 minutes to walk back up. So I drive one car down, walk back up. I drive another car down, walk back up. And it's just kind of like it takes a lot to, to do this. And so then afterwards, I went on a walk with one of the pastors. And, and then when I got home, I had to fold up all the tables and all the chairs and put everything away. And we had a lot of dishes and a lot of things. And boy, it, it was it started getting late, and as we crawled into bed, we were really tired that night, but my phone dinged, and uh, there was a message on the phone, and I want to read that for you uh, as we end. It said, Dear Gwen and Rod, as I was driving home, I noticed that I felt lighter and happier than usual. I realized that the main factor behind this was getting to have such full fellowship in the middle of the week, no less, with you and our fellow ministers. The laughter, the stories, the affirmation, the extravagant food, and oh man, those cookies. Gwen's good. Gwen makes a good cookie, by the way. Your hospitality helped me to taste and see tangible reminders that, that again, yes, Jesus loves me. You know, pastors need that too. They, the pastors need to know that, the, that Jesus loves them as well said, I saw your love and your faith as you served us all day and probably yesterday too. He didn't know what he was talking about. And I got to see two children of God together, just happy to be able to do their father's bidding and loving it. Today was a God-glorious day. Thank you so much. Revive. You have received the extravagant hospitality of God in Jesus Christ. And God is calling you to uniquely extend the extravagant, costly hospitality of God in Jesus Christ. And as you do, there will be many God-glorious days ahead. Let us pray. Jesus, we do thank you and we praise you that you call us to yourself with your lavish, extravagant, generous love and hospitality. Lord, so move in our hearts to receive that that we might be agents and vessels. We might be your gathering servants in Marin and in Sunnyvale, around the Bay Area, the country, and the whole world for the glory of your name. Amen.